Good morning. It's great to see you all. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you came out today, especially on a cold and wet day. Uh, for those of you who are wondering where some familiar faces are today. I want to just mention that, that we have about 125 guys who are up at Lone Hollow Ranch for a men's retreat today. I think there's a, we've got a picture of that. This is our, our men's retreat group. Um, yeah, that, don't they look organized like that? It's, it's a, it, took, it took Eric Schluter a, a lot. Uh, it took a lot, of, a lot of wrangling, a lot to, to get that picture taken. Um, but it, it has been a great thing up there. And, and I will say that especially to have a group of guys together, to, to come together, to pray together, to sing together, to think together, to, to grow in bro as brothers together in that much cold, that's something else. You know, I, I remember it was so cold. Were y'all cold here in San Antonio this weekend? We were up there. It was freezing. And at one point, I, I tell you, at one point I just felt like, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, here, here I am. I'm, I'm among, you know, the, I'm with the body of Christ. I'm among my Christian brothers. And, and you know, these, these guys are my friends. They're, you know, they're my you know, my, my compatriots, you know, these are, these are just, this is a special group of guys. And this, you know, this feeling just started to come over me. It's like, wow, this is, this is what fellowship feels like. And I thought, well, but this might also be what hypothermia feels like. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure which it is, but, but uh, I'm okay. So I think we're, I think, I think we're all right. I just want to go ahead though. And I want to give a shout out to the hardest working man in religion this morning, John McDonald over here, who is uh, not only did he and Preston Hill and Carter Ray uh, lead worship up there at, uh, at Lone Hollow for the weekend? But he's also back today. You know, when Callan said he was going to be out of town and when Preston and Carter and, and everybody was going to be up there, they said, they said, well, Bob, I guess you just won't be able to have music. I said, no, no, get me John McDonald. You know, it's kind of, I, I always wanted somebody to do that with me. It's like, get me Bob Fuller. You know, he's, the, he's the answer to our problems right here. Um, but but uh, thank you, and thank you, Carrie. It's so good to, to be here with you all this morning, um, especially as we, as we continue a series about, not, it's, it's kind of a series about the patriarch Abraham, or Abram as he was originally called, but it's really a series about God. It's really about, about the God who keeps his promises, the one who is there for us, um, even when, when we, we don't deserve it, honestly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you will, if you've got your Bible with you, I, I'm going to invite you to turn to the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, if, that, if you're not familiar with the Bible. And the 12th chapter, y'all now know how numbers work. So, okay, so y'all can get there on your own. But we've been reading from this chapter for a couple of weeks now. And we're continuing to learn how God not only calls people, but how he keeps the promises that are going to empower them to do the things that he has called them to do. Now, we've, we've already started into this story, so it may feel like you're kind of jumping in in the middle, but I, I promise we'll go back and we'll unpack some of this. But we're going to start in verse 4. And verse 4 starts right after God has called this man Abram, at a time in ancient history, to be, his, to, to be the founder of a chosen nation of people through whom God is going to redeem the whole world. And so he, God makes this really extraordinary call, meaning this challenge, this, this summons to Abraham, or to Abram as he's called at this point, and says, I want you to go and I want you to do these things for me. And so we begin 
in verse four with Abram's response, which is this. So Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the Oak of Moray. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we're going to skip down to verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to, so, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. That's in the land of Canaan. And when he, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but you they will let live. Say that you are my sister, and that it, may, that, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he, and he had sheep and oxen and male donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's your sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here's your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The grass, excuse me, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask that today you would open your word to us once more and speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. So let me ask this, just a real easy question, group participation. How many of you all worry? Okay, and the rest of you are liars. Okay. Um, you know, I can already ask that, but how many of you are already stressed out in 2024? I mean, we're, I mean, it's, it's already happened. We're only three weeks into this. How many of you all are stressed out because you are responsible for other people? I mean, you are responsible for making decisions at home or at work or, or at the church or in some context that could affect the life and the quality of life or of the people for whom you are responsible in a serious way. How many of you all ever feel that weight of responsibility? Okay, yeah, absolutely. We, I think in, all, in some degree, all of us do. Now, how many of you all worry that the decisions that you make will hurt the people for whom you are responsible? You don't have, you don't have to keep raising your hands. I mean, it's okay. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of us, not just you, but how many of us make bad 
decisions when we're worried. End up making bad decisions when we're worried. And having made those bad decisions, even just three weeks into 2024, how many of you already wish that you could get a do-over on some of those decisions? Yeah, it's hard. Especially if you have any kind of responsibility, the weight of those decisions can be tough. And, and the worry imposed by that, it's like, you know, it's one thing if you're all by yourself, but if you, if you have to make decisions for other people, it just weighs on you that much more. So if you answered yes to any of these questions, then you understand Abram. Because Abram, or Abraham, was a leader. He was someone who was responsible not only for the people under his care, but I want you to consider this. He was also charged by God, the God of heaven and earth, with the great responsibility of being an instrument through which God would use to bless all the families of the earth. Have you ever heard the expression, oh, well, that guy just thinks that he's God's gift to such and such? You ever heard? Abram actually was. Okay, He actually was God's gift to humanity through which God would begin his plan of redemption and restoration. I mean, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. And, and so here we have, right out of the gate, Abram really messed things up. And why? He messed things up because it's so easy to have confidence and trust in God when things are going well. But what about the times when the problems look bigger than the promises. I mean, we hear God's promise, but we see the problem right in front of us. And the threat we see overpowers the promise that we hear. Ever find yourself in that kind of situation? Well, let's go back and let's look at the story in depth. In verses 1 through 3, those first three verses of chapter 12 that we've read a couple of times, we, we, we see that God revealed his plan, that he was going to use Abram and his, and his family, his wife Sarai and his whole family, to bless all the families of the earth. And to fulfill that plan, God promised Abram three things. Out of Sarah's barrenness, in spite of her barrenness, God promised Abram many descendants. And those descendants would form a great nation. And he would give this wandering Aramean, this nomad nation, a homeland. That is, a place to call their own. And then finally, God covers it all with a promise of protection in which God said that he would protect Abram, that he would protect his family, and he would uphold their honor. And so, so God comes to Abram, intervenes in his life, challenges him to go and to take up these promises, and you know what? Abram went. He said yes. And so Abram did just as God said, and Abram went where the Lord told him to go, moved his whole family 1,500 miles to the land of Canaan, what we know as modern-day Israel. And he took his wife, and he took his nephew Lot, and all of their possessions, and their entire entourage. And when they got to that country, when they got to the land of Canaan, Abram built an altar to the Lord, and he worshiped God. I love that. The first thing he did when he got there was he built a church. He had a prayer meeting. He worshiped God. And then they moved again. He kept moving, and they, he kept claiming the land that God had given him. And again, he stopped, and he set up another altar. 
and he called upon the name of the Lord. I mean, Abram was having one of those triumphant seasons. I mean, have you ever felt like you're just in the zone? When, when everything works out, when you, you feel like God's favor shining down on you and, and every pass you throw gets caught and every, every deal you make goes well and every, every you know, balance sheet works out and all that kind of stuff, the math all comes together. Abram was having one of those triumphant seasons. Everything was falling into place. God had brought them into this land. And even though the land was full of Canaanites, God just kept opening the doors for Abram and his family. But then we just read that things took a really ugly turn. I mean, the, the story begins with worship and glory, but then it gets sorted. Everything was going great, but then they ran into a problem. Verse 10 tells us, that there was a severe famine in the land. And what's interesting to me is it doesn't say that the famine began. Rather, it sounds like Canaan was already experiencing famine conditions, already experiencing drought conditions. The Canaanites were starving. The livestock was dying. And so when Abram got to, got to Canaan and he saw what was happening in Canaan, when he was confronted with this famine, Abram decided, well, I'm just going to keep moving. I'm not going to stay here. And he pushed the company on through Canaan toward the land of Egypt, where there was supposed to be reported lots of food, plenty of food. I mean, that's a decision he made as a leader. It's like, there's no food here. We're going to keep going. Even though this is the land that God promised us, we're going to keep going to where food is plentiful. But here's where it gets ugly. Before they got to Egypt, Abram did something that makes my skin crawl. He went to Sarai, his wife, and he said, Sarai, you know, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, aha, that's his wife, and they're going to kill me. But they'll let you live. So I've got an idea, and I'm just putting it out there. Do me a favor. Tell them you're my sister, and because of you, they'll welcome me and they'll let me live. That's some plan, huh? I mean, that whole group of guys out there at, at Lone Hollow Ranch, a whole bunch of boneheads of us, none of us would have come up with this plan. But there it is, and that's exactly what happened. When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look at Sarai, his wife, and they saw that she was stunningly beautiful. And Pharaoh's princes raved over her to Pharaoh. And the Bible says that she was taken to live with Pharaoh to be a part of his harem. If you don't know what that means, ask your parents. I mean, can you imagine... A husband saying, I would rather save my own skin than protect your honor, your virtue, your life, your pain, your mind, your heart. I mean, there is no chivalry here. Abram was no Sir Galahad. And this is more like a knight throwing a princess to the dragon so that he can get away while the dragon's eating her. This is what happened. 
And here's the crazy thing. Here's, I mean, we don't have any remote, uh, uh, any record of the dialogue, but for some reason, Sarai went along with this plan. And by the way, so did Lot, and so did all of their servants, and everyone else who was with him, with them, and who knew her real name and her identity. So imagine all of us leaving here today, agreeing we're all going to hang on to this one lie. Everybody good? Nobody's going to break, right? We're all going to go along with this. We're all going to turn over Sarai, and nobody's going to tell who she really is, even though we all know her true identity. What's really sad about this is that what kills me is that everyone seems to be okay with this plan. It looked good to all of them. It made sense to them. And you know what? It not only saved Abram's life, I mean, financially speaking, it turned out very profitably for him. I'm just looking at verse 16. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, all of this male servant, uh, male donkeys and male servants and female servants and fe- female donkeys and camels. I mean, come on, and camels. I mean, this jackpot. How awesome is that? I mean, everything's, everyone's okay with it too, right? Everyone's okay with this plan. Except God. Because look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. (laughs) What that verse is telling us is that God hit Pharaoh hard because of Sarai, because of Abram, because of what they'd done. And everybody in the palace got seriously sick. Didn't kill them. They just got seriously sick. And so Abram's, I mean, so Pharaoh's looking around. It's like, what happened here? Figures it out. And so he, he calls Abram. Pharaoh calls Abram and he says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you tell me she was your sister? Here's your wife back. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country. And they sent him away and his wife and everything that he owned. He sent them on their way. So Just pausing for a second. So the story of Abram starts out so beautifully. Devotion, righteousness, loyalty to God, courage. It's an epic for the ages. And then it turns into a really bad reality show. I mean, here is problem number one. Abram didn't trust God to take care of his material needs. What's on the table? Hunger. This is a material need. Abram went to Canaan, but when they got hit with trouble, with the famine, they freaked out and they ran to Egypt. And that's when everything got goofed up. Who told them to go to Egypt? God didn't tell them to go to Egypt. God told them to go to Canaan. God had a plan. God was going to provide for them in the promised land. But when they stepped outside of God's promise... And they started trying to do things without him, trying to take care of themselves, trying to take over on their own. What happened? They started making some pretty desperate, some pretty repulsive choices, didn't they? I want you to really think about this. God knew that there was a famine in Canaan. Do you think that God would send them there without a disaster plan? You think God didn't have something up his sleeve? 
But rather than stay in the land that God had promised, Abram came up with his own solution. And things only got worse. And his decision to go to Egypt put both his life and Sarah's life in danger. And you know what? Sadly, in the story of Abram and Sarah, we see this again and again. They don't trust God, and they start making their own decisions that that go against what God's commanded them to do. They do it again and again. That's problem number one. Problem number two is this. When they got to Egypt, Abram did not trust God to protect them from Pharaoh. Pharaoh being the Egyptian emperor. Remember what God said at the very beginning of this chapter. God had told Abram, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. It was a promise. And yet... Abram felt it necessary to come up with his own terrible lie, and he traded his wife for his life. You, how awful is that? Even though Abram consented and Sarai consented, Abram's people all went along with it, but that still didn't make it right. I mean, it looked good to them. It all made sense to them. It even made Abram a rich man, so it all worked out, right? But God didn't approve. Everyone was okay with this except God. And this is a reminder to us that just because everyone involved may be okay with sin, just because everyone involved is a consenting adult, that doesn't doesn't make it okay in God's eyes. It's easy for us to lambast Abram for not trusting God. But before we judge him too quickly or too self-righteously, think back again and consider the pressure that Abram was under. I mean, again, he is responsible for all these people. People were starving in Canaan, and as the leader of his people, Abram felt the weight of the responsibility of doing what he thought was best for their survival. Now, I'm not trying to excuse or rationalize Abram's decision to abandon God's promised land, to abandon this home and lie about Sarai. But I do think we need to give him some charity here and think about this. We need to understand that this was a decision made in desperation. He was desperate. He believed that he had to get his people to Egypt where there was food. And that would have been risky enough just on its own. But then he was probably right about Pharaoh. The Lord of Egypt would not have thought twice about killing Abram to take his wife into his harem. And maybe he believed at this point, maybe by the time he'd made his decision to go to Egypt, maybe he began to believe at that point that that when he quit the promised land, he also abdicated God's protection. Maybe he thought, well, I've already blown it. I've just got to take care of my family now. And maybe he thought that God's protection stopped at the border. Maybe he thought that he had failed God or that he'd let him down. Maybe he thought that he was on his own because he had spurned the promises of the Almighty. He'd given up on God. I know that there are people in this room who have had to make some desperate and backbreaking choices in their lives, heartbreaking choices, heartbreaking decisions. And like you, I mean, here Abram thought that if, 
If he didn't abandon the promised land, the promises of God, and go to Egypt with his people, they would starve. Maybe you felt like you were up against a wall. Maybe you felt like you were in a corner. And he felt like if he didn't lie about Sarah's true identity, then he would die. And so even though we see how wrong he was, we understand the circumstances because we've been in them. We understand the circumstances that lead people to horrible decisions, the financial circumstances, the medical circumstances, the marital circumstances, the survival circumstances that put us in a seemingly no-win situation. That's when we get desperate. What will we do? Well, believe it or not, this, this story is really not as much about what we do as much as it is about what God does. Here's some things we need to take away from this story. First of all, we need to, we need to be honest about something. Number one, we need to remember that just because something's okay does not mean that it's okay with God. And just because we believe something's okay doesn't mean that it's okay with God. Just because something seems right in our own eyes doesn't mean that it's right with God. Holiness isn't determined by a head count. You know the old thing that your mom used to say to you, if everybody jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge too? Sadly, yes, I would most of the time. But even, God, even though God pulled them out of the fire, there were still consequences. There was still damage. I mean, what do you think that this episode did to, Adam, to Abram's reputation? I mean, he was supposed to be God's chosen instrument. What does that behavior make people think about our faith? What, you know, what are we showing the larger culture around us if, if our go-to option is I'm going to sell my wife to trade for my life? You know, what kind of damage can this kind of scandal do to our mission? I mean, and think about this. Pharaoh didn't learn anything about the glory and mercy of God through this episode. All he learned was that Abram couldn't be trusted. So we've got to remember there are consequences to our sin, for sure, but... Number two, we need to remember that we can't fall into the trap of believing that our problems are bigger than God's promise. Abram did the wrong thing because each time he thought that his problems were bigger than God's promise. He thought that both famine and Pharaoh were stronger than God. This is what we so often do. We're willing to accept God's promises. We set up altars, we pray, we, we, uh, we, we celebrate, etc. But then when we run into problems, we try to handle it by ourselves. It's not that we, we turn on God, it's just that we step up in the place where, we, where God should be. We try to take over and we try to figure it out on our own. Sadly, it took Abram and Sarah decades to figure out that that's not the way to go. They, this is not the first mistake they make. This is not the first time they stepped off the rails. This is not the first time they, they kind of blew it and it seemed like it was going to be all over. But God kept bringing them back. But it took Abram and Sarah decades to figure it out that we hear God's promises, but we see the, pro the problems right in front of us. And the threat that we see overpowers the promise that we hear. And we fall into the trap of believing that the problems we face are bigger than God's promises. And so we start to take control of our lives and make things happen. We become control freaks. We're all control freaks. It just determines the degree and the amount of power you have. Let me ask you, how's that working for you? The Bible's clear. We are not going to have it easy in this life. Far from it. 
Sometimes the path to God's greatest blessings go through trouble. We see that with Abram. We see that with Moses. We see it with David. We see it with Peter and Paul. And we even see it with Christ himself, who for the glory set before him had to go through the cross, had to go through the death before the resurrection. Psalm 23 talks about him leading us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't fly us over the valley. He doesn't take us around the valley. He takes us through it because he wants us to know firsthand that the problems we face are never bigger than the God who makes the promises. But this isn't the end of Abram's story. We've got to remember this is just the beginning. And we have to remember that this story is not about Abram's failure. It's about God's faithfulness. This story tells us a lot about God's grace because it reminds us that God doesn't choose perfect people. I was talking with a member of our church just the other day while we were at the retreat, telling him about my sermon for this Sunday. And and this guy who was familiar with this story said, you know, that story actually gives me a lot of comfort because it shows us that God uses real people, imperfect people, just like us. People who lie, people who mess things up, and yet God still loves us. That's so true. We should remember this. Abram was no super saint. He did not earn, and frankly, he did not deserve God's favor. This one episode should have disqualified him forever. But in fact, we see that that's not what happened. In fact, you know, it's interesting. In this story, the pagan Pharaoh comes off looking a little bit morally superior to Abram. But here's what we understand. This story reminds us that God does not choose perfect people. Rather, he perfects the people he chooses. You know, grace is not amazing if it only benefits the worthy. In Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote this. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, not after we got it all figured out, not after we got our ducks in a row, not after we got our house in order, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so finally, number four, this story demonstrates that even when we give up on God, God does not give up on us. And praise his glorious name that even though Abram abandoned God, God did not abandon Abram. God did exactly what he said he would do. God cursed Pharaoh and his whole household with great plagues for dishonoring Abram and Sarai. And I think this is exactly what God meant in verse 3 when he said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who dishonors you. And even though Abram was supposed to be in Canaan, guess what? God was with him in Egypt even in Egypt. There's so many people who think that God has given up on them. There's so many people who think that they have run so far that they've crossed that border of God's promise and God's love. But let me tell you something. You can never outrun the love of God. And you cannot outsend the cross of Jesus Christ. Never. You cannot escape the shadow of the cross of Golgotha. 
you may feel a million miles away from God. But if you'll just turn around and look, you'll see that he's right behind you. Do you understand that that's what the word repent means? In Greek, it means to change your mind, but in Hebrew, it means to, to literally just turn around and to see that the God that you thought was well behind you and long gone is right there behind you. And here's the truth of it. This is not a story told to warn us that if we stray from God, terrible things will happen. If we try to do things our own way, if we try to do life our own way, rather than do things his way, then ugly things are going to happen. I mean, that's reality. But that's not the point of this story. This story is not an if story. If you do things this way, this will happen. This is a when story. This is a story that tells us when we stray, when we fall, when we fail, here's what a loving God does. It's not a matter of if we will get in trouble, beloved. How long ago did you use up your if? It's not a matter of if we're going to get in trouble. The problem is it's all about when we get in trouble. And what this story is telling us is that the God who, makes, who keeps his promises is the God who is there when we get into trouble. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Isaiah said, Hear, O Israel, I have formed you. Hear, O Jacob, I have made you. I love you, and I have called you by name. I've called you by name. Abram, I called you by name. Sarah, I have called you by name, and I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. It's not about when, it's not about if we fall, it's about when we fall. This story is about God's faithfulness. And because this story is about God's faithfulness, this wasn't the end of Abram's story. And because of God's faithfulness, because he has created you, because he's made you and loved you, he has called you by name and said, fear not, you are mine. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come to you this morning because we have wandered, we have fallen. Just like the song said, prone to alone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the one we love. Lord, we, we get desperate and we do desperate things. And then we get even more desperate and we think that, that we've done it and it's over. But this story, like so many others in the story of Abram and like so many others written in the words of Scripture and like so many others written in our lives, prove that you are the God who keeps his promises even when we fail, who loves us and who holds us in the palm of his hand. In Jesus' name.